And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is Ricky Gantz along with Mike Miller. And again, this is G220 Radio, episode number 485. We're going to be talking about the Southern Baptist Convention 2021 today. Uh, Mike, how are we doing, man? How's this week been for you? It's uh, It's been pretty good. It's a big week. Um, just some dealing with stuff kind of with it. So... Um, some medical issues. So hopefully it should get cleared up this week. That's the hope, but you never know. I thought this was going to be over with three weeks ago and here I am almost, almost a month. Mm. So, which is why I couldn't go to the convention. So I'm kind of excited to get some other, here's some other stuff from what happened. Yeah. We're going to cover that tonight. We're going to talk about, how does the Southern Baptist Convention work? I think there's a lot of misunderstandings from it, as you know, me and Mike have talked about, and I've talked with our, our guests before the program. I'm kind of new to the Southern Baptist Convention. Like I'm, I'm in a Southern Baptist church. It's the second one I've been in. Uh, I, I've talked with the pastor a little bit more about Southern Baptist working than in the previous church that I was in that happened to be Southern Baptist. And so I think, though, sometimes people have a misunderstanding of what it means to be Southern Baptist. They think it's this top-down denomination. And so I kind of want to talk about some of those things here today uh, and get some more clarity on that and maybe be helpful to those who are tuning in that are just wondering, what is all this convention talk about? Because it's been in the news a lot and not just Christian news. It's been in the you know worldly news. A lot of uh, stories being done on what was going on over the last week at the Southern Baptist Convention. So uh, we're going to bring on our, our guest. We have uh, Pastor Clay Hall. He's been on the program with us before. Pastor Hall, uh, welcome to the show again. And our first hey, timer brothers, here. Good to see you. Yeah, glad to have you here. Uh, and the first timer for us here on G220 Radio is Pastor Daryl Cornett. He is also with us on the show. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah. And so, Pastor Daryl, since this is your first time with us, why don't you go ahead first and, and share a little bit with the listeners about yourself? Sure. Um, I am a native Kentuckian. I was born in the eastern part of the state, a small little town called Hazard. Give a shout out to Hazard, Kentucky. But I grew up in Lexington. Uh, saw my formative years uh, there. Grew up um, and was saved, baptized in an independent Baptist church, a little small church there in Lexington. Uh, got introduced to Southern Baptist life later in life. I started dating a Southern Baptist girl, went to a Southern Baptist college and was hooked ever since. And um, Went to Southern Seminary and uh, graduated there a couple times and um, did a little teaching there in Lexington. And um, but then in 2000, headed to Memphis, um, where I got to teach at Mid-America Seminary for eight years. Uh, all the church history classes that everyone was just dying to take. And, and, um, and then in 2008, I uh, came back to Kentucky, went back to Hazard, actually the place that I was born, pastored a church there for 10 years. And uh, just recently, uh, two and a half years ago, I uh, moved to central North Carolina. So I'm the pastor, mm. lead pastor at Aberdeen First Baptist in Aberdeen, North Carolina, uh, which is probably an hour, just a little over an hour southwest of Raleigh area. Wonderful, wonderful. Praise the Lord uh, for uh, what the Lord is doing in your life and moving you to teach and pastor in these different areas. And um, what a joy that is. Uh, what a what a very um, 
trying to think of the right wording. It's it's a it's a a blessing to hold a position of of pastoring, being a a, a shepherd of God's people in a church. It's also a a very um, strenuous job, I'm I'm sure at times. And uh, so we thank you for your work in shepherding God's people where He has you, uh, Pastor Clay Hall. Again, you've been on the program before, but in case someone's tuning in. Uh, for the first time that has not heard about you, why don't you share a little bit about yourself as well? <clears throat> sure. I am uh, pastoring in Paducah, Kentucky since January, and it's a small replant that um, God is just really blessing and just glad to be here, man. God's doing a great work, and um, so glad to be on the show again. Well, again, we are glad to have you as well, and we thank you for the work that the Lord is doing in your life as a shepherd of his people where he has you as well. Uh, Mike, as we get into this, we kind of were talking about this uh, in the beginning, as in, in the intro here, some things that maybe people don't understand about the SBC. I hear it a lot. Me and my wife were just talking about this earlier, that there are many people that think it's a denomination. And I was trying to even wrap my head around this. And pastors, you can jump in too whenever you you feel you know you want to jump in. Um, and I was trying to wrap my head around this because you hear people say quite often, "Well, I'm Southern Baptist. I'm Southern Baptist." So, but yet the convention is a bunch of churches coming together. But yet, is it still a, a denomination, so to speak, or not a denomination? Why don't we kind of talk about that a little bit? So, obviously, a lot of people use it. In the term denomination, it's nice and easy um, to do it that way. But as you kind of alluded to, the Southern Baptist Convention is not technically a denomination. It's an association, a gathering of churches coming together to pool their money together to fund mission, education, and other things as they've gone gone away. as they've grown and found needs. So that's the main thing. And so what this plays out and how this plays out is that the churches as a Baptist church has autonomy. It's kind of fundamental of Baptist history that the church is autonomous. That's why you even have kind of the um, independent Baptist churches. That's kind of, where you get it, that a church is autonomous and they choose to give money to the cooperative program, which funds the Southern Baptist convention. In a real sense, the SBC only exists for two days, the two days of the convention. And so to, so to think about it in that it is different because it's different than a Presbyterian denomination where like a presbytery owns the building that a church meets in the church doesn't own it the presbytery do that's not a thing in southern baptist the general assembly can kind of lay down rules that church churches must obey they have courts to you know to try errant preachers this isn't part of Southern Baptist because the local church is the foundation. And then the convention helps all of these 1400 churches to train their pastors to fund fully fund 
missionaries, mm-hmm. um, both local kind of in our continent and abroad, you know, and also in some sense fund Lifeway for resources, Guidestone for kind of retirement and insurance for our pastors, for our um, for entity employees as what they're called. And so that's kind of the main difference between a you know, Presbyterian polity and kind of Baptist association association associationism. There we go. Yeah. I'll get it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mike, <clears throat> that's a that's a great explanation. That's exactly right. The only thing I would add to it to help people understand because people outside <clears throat> the Southern Baptist Convention that only have known hierarchical structures in denominations have a hard time understanding how ours is organized, especially when we use things like a president, we have a president or we have uh-huh. presidents of certain entities and this board and that board, it sounds very uh, familiar to them and hierarchical sort of terminology, but it really isn't. Um, but the other way to look at it, <clears throat> excuse me, is that, um, you know, every independent church is, is just that independent. So, you know, they hire and fire their own ministerial staff. They set their own budgets. They own their own property. They decide their own ministries. In reality, even the Baptist faith and message, they can adhere to it strictly or ignore it altogether in reality. You know, so there's just nothing from the outside dictating anything at the local level. And, uh, and the way we cooperate is with our dollars, um, most, I guess, pointedly, and there's some doctrinal affinity there, of course, with the Baptist faith and message. Uh, but even that gets strained at times because, again, at the local level, that may be a big deal to you or, or not at all. It just depends on the church. And I tell people all the time, you, you, you know, if you go to a Catholic church anywhere in the world on any given Sunday, you know exactly what you're going to get. Uh, you're going to get exactly the same thing um, in a Baptist church. Who knows? Uh, every one of them can be different. And uh, that speaks to that that independent nature. Uh, you mentioned the the Baptist faith and message, and I know we've done a show, Mike, on that where we kind of went through it. Um, but isn't it that the the SBC now, as you mentioned, their pastor, uh, that you could have more than just that as your uh, maybe your doctrinal statement for your your church. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm a 1689 guy. So if I was a Southern Baptist 1689 guy, maybe we had that confession as our standard for our church. But all the churches within the SBC have to at least adhere to or agree with the Baptist faith and message, correct? No. No? It's weird. Yeah. The local church, not really. It's strange. We're not a creedal people, like we're you know just people of the book, the Bible, Bible alone, uh, and I love that. Uh, the Baptist faith and message. The only place where it must be endorsed is with the agencies and institutions that the churches support. So if you teach at a seminary or you're one of the missionaries that are paid by Southern Baptist or at one of our entities, then yes, you do have to subscribe to it essentially is a creed that you agree to uh, teach in accordance with it, not contrary to it. But at the local church level, that church um, could have the 63 confession, the 2000 confession. They could go by the 1689 confession. uh, And that has nothing to do with their ability to cooperate 
mm. with the Southern Baptist Convention. So it's kind of used in two different ways depending on where you're talking about. Okay. Now there's the Southern Baptist Convention can choose not to accept your corporate dollars too if mm -hmm. you don't teach within accordance to the Baptist faith message. So here in Louisville, the St. Matthew's Baptist Church was a cooperating mm -hmm. church right. and has now been deemed non is not no longer in good standing with the Southern Baptist. And so they can reject all the corporate money given to it. Um, right. So there's that aspect. So, but then again, a lot of it is going to be pretty much if you endorse the gay agenda mm -hmm. or you endorse women preachers, that's kind of the, the two ways the SBC says, well, no, you're no longer in friendly fellowship with us. Mm -hmm. um, but if you don't need, if you don't hold those two positions, then you, yeah, as passing Clint says, you're not just gonna, they're not going to kick you out and they're not going to do anything about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause you know, that's one of those things I wasn't, I wasn't a hundred percent on. I, I thought that they, everybody just had to agree with that at least because it does seem kind of, as opposed to, you know, again, being a 1689 guy and I'll use that because I'm, I'm more familiar with that. Um, it's, it's a little more in depth of a confessional mm -hmm. statement, you know, so where, the Baptist faith and message, it's a biblical statement. It, it's a, it's a, a, a wonderful statement, but it's a, it's a little more, um, what's the right word, uh, uh, broad to where you can encompass maybe where the 1689, you're going to have mostly particular Baptist, you know, reformed guys where it, within the SBC, you've got Calvinistic individuals, preachers, mm -hmm. but then you also don't have that. So the Baptist faith and message is, is, is it a little more broader to where you're going to agree on essentials, still be brothers and cooperate together for the sake of some of those things that we, we already mentioned, but to get out that, uh, bringing those dollars together to go out towards missions and certain things like uh, um, that and church planting and, and um, uh, the many other different entities that you guys know more, more uh, weller than I, or more than I do. Um, Cause that was one of the things and, and pastor Daryl, you had mentioned this already, but that was one of the questions my wife and I were talking about this earlier. And she said, is it kind of like, the, like the if if a church needs is a pastor that the Southern Baptist Convention would send someone to them um, and you'd already address that it's like no the churches have the the autonomy to call or to fire a a pastor um, that's within their congregation right right so, and I mean it's not that. I kind of put it. I mean, the Southern Baptist Convention has tools for a congregation to find a pastor, mm -hmm. but it's that difference than maybe like the Methodist, which appoints pastors for their churches. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, kind of to that contrast. And I've heard similar people say the same thing about Southern Baptists that they t they choose your pastors, like you know, and it's that. <laughs> understanding of that balance between a church autonomy autonomy and then coming together that um i think people tend to don't understand because it seems like as we mentioned earlier it is hierarchical but it's not because we as baptists prize 
autonomous churches. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's one of the, was you going to say something there? Yeah, I was just going to say that flows from a Baptist distinctive and Daryl, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, it flows from a Baptist distinctive, which is um, the priesthood of all believers. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say that's right, Daryl? I think, um, I think congregationalism, which, which is where that sort of fierce independence comes from. <clears throat> I think it is connected to that idea of priesthood of all believers. Um, I think you're right on that, but, um, probably more so to just Baptist adopting that, um, uh, and being doggedly committed to a congregational polity, um, and that kind of independence, that free church movement that they were part of in history. Um, it may not be the defining characteristic because probably, you know, believers baptism by immersion is the defining characteristic, but I'd put the congregationalism and the independence right behind it. But I think you're right. I think it dovetails into that doctrine too. Now, one of the things me and Mike were talking about after the program last week, when we were talking about possibly doing a show today on the Southern Baptist convention of 2021, um, we were talking about how missions is funded together. These churches come together in the SBC, they, they pull their money together and you're able to send missionaries out. And, and I don't know if this is the right term. I know, Pastor uh, Daryl, you said you, was, you grew up in an IFB church as well. I don't know if it was considered deputations or candidating where missionaries would go out and they would try to raise support. I don't remember if, if that the term was like a deputation. I, I can't remember. I'm not 100% on it. But they would go around from churches to churches trying to raise support. Right. And one of the things me and Mike were talking about at the uh, uh, after our program last week was that within the SBC, these missionaries can go into the field and they don't have to worry about trying to go around and raise this support. They can go out and do the mission, um, which it, it really is a great thing when you think about it. Uh, th- th- you don't have that that extra stress or burden. I know my, my wife was telling me that she remembers because she grew up in an IFB church as well. There was a family that for three years they were trying to raise support. And never fully was able to raise support. They, they, he, the man still had to continue to work, um, and never being able to get to the mission field. So when you think about what the SBC is doing there and, and and accomplishing is getting these missionaries out to the field so they can share the gospel, spread the good news, uh, and not have to worry about that fund. Uh, it just sounds like a, a wonderful way of pooling the money, and that's really what what they're trying to do, right? When they're coming together as a convention, as, as a entity is to, as you guys already mentioned, put that money together so that these things can be accomplished and missions being, I mean, one of the biggest things with Southern Baptist, right? Getting people out to the mission field. Right. Yeah. International missions is from the very beginning from 1845 to now is, is the very heartbeat of the Southern Baptist convention, the cooperation that takes place. Uh, there are other causes as well, but typically the you know this the cooperative program money that comes in that funding mechanism that was begun in 1925 uh half of it goes to international missions the the largest designated offering of the year during christmas time lottie moon christmas offering for international missions is the largest mission southern baptists will take up all year long so so that's where the heart of most southern baptists are is supporting that getting the gospel to the nations 
uh, through that wonderful, like you said, it's a blessing to have such a funding mechanism for those missionaries that are called out. Uh, they can go get trained at our seminaries at a fraction of the cost because of mm. the money churches give. And then they can be fully funded on the field and not have to worry about raising that money. Um, and, and it's great. Uh, that, I, think that's, I think that's what excites most. I know it's what excites folks in our church is, is seeing that oh. happening. And one of the best things happening in our convention right now is, has been the revitalization, reinvigorating of the International Mission Board under Dr. Chitwood. Uh, there's, there's no doubt. I know folks that are there. I know him personally. I know what kind of guy he is because I knew him in Kentucky. And, um, you know, he's brought a really good morale back to the IMB um, after David Platt had been there and all of that had happened while he was there. Um, and, and they're pointed in a really good direction. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so they're, they're doing some great stuff. Yeah, I think that's, you know, if you don't get anything from the podcast, I mean, that's, as you said, that's the thing. That's what kind of started the kind of cooperation before Southern Baptist was a thing. You had, you know, the whole story with Lottie Moon and having even the split in between different particular Baptist churches on whether they should pool money together to send missionaries and not in early America um, really is. And I haven't got, I haven't watched the IMB's report from the convention yet this year, but I was doing the North American mission board, which is kind of the more local and just what they're doing um, in plants and revitalization, you know, 50% of all baptisms in Canada came from church plants and just the growth there. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously we pray that these are solid churches, um, but just seeing, you know, the impact in those ways. I mean, that is what's exciting about um, attending a Southern Baptist church mm -hmm. and being able to be part of that um, in that way and having those kind of connections that like my church couldn't do on our own. Mm -hmm. You know, we do fund one missionary and give him a little bit, but we can't fully support him. And so that's what makes, you know, allowing local churches to be part of the bigger mission of evangelism overseas and, you know, being able to connect with IMB missionaries too at the church level. So then they know, you know, you can establish a relationship and even get closer. That was one thing um, in my missions class that I was taught, um, you know, to be even more involved with that. Now, with giving to a cooperative program, can you establish how you want that fund to go from your local church? Or do you just give into the cooperative program and they kind of... Uh, spread it out where they feel it's needed or how, how does that work? There's two lanes of funding uh, for our cooperative work. One is the cooperative program where your church just gives to that pot of money. And, um, and then those who represent Southern Baptist, the executive committee of the Southern Baptist convention uh, every year will we'll work on those allocations and where they go and, 
and that's one of the things that's approved by messengers uh, each year. Um, and then you give directly to designated offerings uh, that your church would choose to take up through mm -hmm. the year. Um, and then those dollars go directly to those sources. Uh, so you have those, those really two different lanes. Now any church can actually give directly to any organization or institution or board that they wanted to. So mm -hmm. there's a, there's a variety of ways a church could choose to give. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. And to kind of explain that, it's not like the church just gives to the Southern Baptist. They do is they give to their most do. I mean, obviously you don't have to, most will give to their state convention. So in mm -hmm. Kentucky, we give to the Kentucky Baptist um, convention convention. They take 50%. Now each state's different. Kentucky, it's 50%. And then they send 50% to the national convention for the use of that. And so, you know, that's probably the primarily means a lot of churches give to the Quapa program. And so you're not only supporting your local, your kind of state um, convention, which helps out um, a little bit closer. It's mm -hmm. kind of the first place you can kind of go to before that money goes off to the national convention and then is allocated um, to the entities. Right. That's an important first step that I completely missed. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's goes to the state first, they take their piece and then on to the national uh, organization. All right. So now as we, we got a little bit of how, the Southern Baptist life kind of works and, and the coming together for the sake of getting missionaries out there. And then some of the other entities that were out there, you have the ERLC, you've got the, um, you got, you mentioned one Mike, that's like a, a retirement program. Guidestone. It's the most Guidestone. exciting report of the annual meeting. <laughs> and then, sorry, that's a joke. And then there's a, uh, um, uh, Lifeway, right? Lifeway is the, it's owned by the Southern Baptist convention, correct? Or is, Am I wrong on that? That's yeah. It, Lifeway actually is its own entity. They don't receive any cooperative program money. They generate all their own revenue. Okay. Um, convention. They, they mm -hmm. are what used to be the Baptist Sunday School Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm old enough to remember that. Uh, you guys aren't. And uh, but they, I don't know when they changed to Lifeway Christian Resources. Maybe back in the '90s, uh, early '90s, somewhere in there. Uh, okay. They serve Southern Baptist, but they don't receive corporate program money. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now, but we got some of that understanding down. We we realize it's it's people I will identify as I'm a Southern Baptist, but it's not necessarily a a, a top down kind of uh, like a different. It's a different kind of ecclesiology. Mm -hmm. um, it's congregational. It's still the autonomous. Uh, the, the local churches have that autonomy. So now let's get into some of the the workings of the convention, Mike, you said it's like, that's usually the only time there's a Southern Baptist is two days. I think you said they come together for a convention and this is a yearly thing, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. It's once a year, except last year was unable to because of the pandemic. Um, so a yearly thing that where they would come together and you elect a new president every year. Is there, they run every, is it one year term or how does that work? It's a one year term. It's customary. Uh, that a president gets a second term, typically unopposed, if he wants it, uh, but then two years and that's it. Okay. 
Except in a pandemic, then you get three. Yeah, then you get three. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so that, that comes together there. And then, so the, now, Mike, when you spoke to me the other day and said that, well, you was telling me you was unable to go, but you was going to be a messenger, that was mm-hmm. the first time I ever heard the term messenger. I knew about resolutions because of 2019 when the big talk was resolution nine. And, and then, uh, you know, the other stuff that's come out of that there. But let's talk about some of those terms when they come together. These messengers come from church. I know, Mike, you said you was having two people sent from your church was going to go, mm-hmm. you and another brother. Um, is that typically two people from each church go or is it dependent on the size of the church? How, how does that work? And what is a messenger? So a messenger is someone voted on by their church to represent them at the convention. So that's what a messenger is. So in my case, um, me and my fellow church member were brought up before the church. We were voted on to become messengers down. Most times, it's a lot of times it's pastors that go. Uh, you kind of will hear that in the questions. Um, but so we were voted on by our church to represent our church to the convention and I would have being there, have full voting rights. So anything that required a vote as a messenger, you can vote. Um, and then it's kind of basically the entities giving a report like a business meeting. It's just a giant business meeting. Um, where the entities report what they're doing and how they're using the cooperative dollars. And then an opportunity for messengers to ask questions of the entities. And then you also have resolutions and um, that are voted on are kind of public statements that kind of have some force, but not really. It's kind of, I'm not, that's, I'm not as clear about, Um, but yeah, so you come you come down and all these churches come together and yeah, basically try to make sure all the entities represent. Every church. Sorry, Claire. Yeah, so every if I'm if I'm correct, every church is eligible to have at least two messengers, depending on uh, whether or not they give to a Southern Baptist. Um, to either to the cooperative program or to a Southern Baptist entity or cause, you can have two messengers. And then depending on your, um, if you give more or if you have more members, you can have up to 11. Um, mm. So you have somewhere between two and 11 messengers. I think that's correct. Maybe. I think it's 12. 12. Okay. Yeah. You're close. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think you can't have any more than 12, no matter how big you are. But yeah, it's, it's based on your giving. Um, every church every year will do at the end of the church calendar year, which is September to August, they, they fill out what they call an annual church profile, which is just lots of information about your church and uh, your statistics, your giving, your attendance, all the things that Southern Baptists use to compile data uh, on our churches. And, and according to your giving, uh, then you you will be assigned how many messengers you could could send uh, to the convention to represent your church. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to be a huge church to have twelve. It, it doesn't take, you know, you don't have to be huge, like not a mega church. Um, 
but everybody does get at least two. Um, okay. Yeah. Everybody that gives. That gives. Yeah. Exactly. Now, as far as the resolutions go, is this people with in these local churches that are submitting these resolutions and then it's overlooked by the the committees? How, how does that work? Is, or, or are they coming up with certain resolutions and then asking the people to that are there, the messengers, to vote on that? Yes, both. Both? Okay. Both. Yeah, both and. Yeah. Messengers have the opportunity to submit resolutions on anything they want. Uh, it could be on any topic up to a certain cutoff date uh, so that a committee that's been elected by the messengers of the, you know, or actually the committee, I think, is appointed. Uh, yeah, it's appointed by the president. Appointed, it's appointed by the president, this committee. And um, so they, they receive all those. They consider them. They can edit them if they want. They have the freedom to write their own if they want based on other things that they got. So they, they have a lot of latitude. Uh for the fi finished product that they bring to the messengers when we get to the convention. Um, resolutions are funny. Resolutions, again, this is, this is the quirkiness of Baptist life. Resolutions, we get really worked up about them one way or another. And then when we all leave, they mean absolutely nothing at your local church. <laughs> absolutely nothing. It's not like you have to go back to your church and teach that resolution or adhere to it or agree with it or anything. Um, so it is, it is, I mean, if, if we weren't getting so upset about it, it'd be funny, but, uh, it, but they do for the messengers that gather at that convention, it's really like a confession. It's really more of a public statement to the world, mm. uh, is really what it's about. Here's who we are. Here's what we think about this particular issue that we feel like we need to address together. Uh, but again, go back to the local church. Most of your people at your church, they don't have a clue. They, they don't even know there was a resolution or what it was about, unless you tell them about it. Yeah. Yeah. And if well, I'm, go ahead, Mike. If I remember this right, they don't even have bearings on the entities. Like, it's not like, you know, an entity has to follow a resolution. Mm -hmm. And so you, you know, that's kind of what makes it, yeah, kind of that public statement. So then as I'm thinking through this, um, and I was talking to Pastor Darrell about this before we, we came onto the program, <clears throat> excuse me, how after, you know, 2019, I began to see so many people say, it's time to leave the SBC. And then even after this one, it's like, it's time to go. The SBC's lost. You know, there's no, there's no point in trying to continue this. From what I'm hearing, these resolutions, again, because of the autonomy of that local church, really don't affect it. So they're important because obviously you want to stand and, and, and being something, as we mentioned, like the Southern Baptist Convention of, of 2021 was in the news media, the, the world news media. So it's not this is something that's getting out there. So some of these topics that you're standing and saying, no, as a Southern Baptist Convention, as the largest Protestant group in the United States of America, we stand against CRT or we stand against abortion. We stand against whatever the, the issues are that that's being covered in the news. It's putting a definitive statement that this is what we stand for as Southern Baptist. So it is mm -hmm. important, but mm -hmm. it also maybe, uh, and you guys can correct me if you think I'm wrong, is not something to be so hasty to just jump and say, that's it. It's over. It's a, it's a lost cause. 
Let's move on. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. Would... And, and I've seen some of that too, ironically, from people who are not part of the Southern Baptist Convention, which kind of like, why do you care in, in one sense? Um, but in a, in a way, and you kind of see founders ministry doing this, and I don't, you know, all opinions aside, kind of what they're going for is out of kind of all of these religious groups, you know, the Southern Baptists are really the only structured ecclesiology that allows for a conservative resurgence. Mm -hmm. And so there's an argument to be made that if you leave the Southern Baptist convention, you've, you're taking your voice with it, with you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these churches who are leaving, one question I would have is, are you actually being involved in a way that your voice is heard that you, are you going to the conventions to, you know, vote what you think is right before just jumping ship? Because the beauty of the con Southern Baptist convention is that while the president has a lot of power and appoints boards that changes every two years if it's a customary if they they really don't like him you know if someone might run um after one year and you have those kind of the ability to change where you don't have that in the pcusa mm -hmm. the pcusa is never going to turn back to a conservative mm -hmm. view it can't and so i think there's an argument to be made that you know, leaving the Southern Baptist church is really hurting them to steer correctly. If you think they're going liberal. Right. And I mean, wouldn't it, because we know that there is sin in the world, we, we even as Christians still fight against the flesh that we still have that remains. Um, even if you left and started an association down the road, there's going to be issues that come in that you're going to have to fight against. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, however long it goes, there may be like what we're seeing with so many other uh, groups, like you mentioned, PCUSA, you have the, Meth the United Methodist that have gone to a degree that there really is no coming back from um, <clears throat> with that. But I mean, I just think that sometimes we we can be too hasty in our decision making and jump ship and and rather than you know Mike like you was the first one that said this to me you know you stay and you keep pressing on and keep you know fighting that from the inside and seeking to make those changes. So speaking about that and speaking about the resolutions and how some of these things come about is that how certain topics like critical race theory come to the table? It's something that's prominent in our uh, society. Um, I think it's, it's been out there, uh, for a little while, but I think after George Floyd, we started to see more of it thrown out there, uh, and used. And then even <clears throat> within the Southern Baptist, uh, you, you have people that are promoting certain, you know, types of, of, of a theory, this theology, uh, so to speak. And so is that how these resolutions come about where people start saying, Whoa, wait a minute. People are wanting to use CRT. Now you want to speak against it. And that is one of the issues I, I think that was 
when people were coming to this one, they were seeking to overturn something that happened in 2019. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, most Southern Baptists had no clue what critical race theory and intersectionality was before Birmingham in 2019. I wasn't at that uh, convention, um, watched some of it, but really had to do a lot of catch up after the fact. Um, I didn't know what it was. Um, I, I, it's just not an area that I, that I would have been familiar with. So I spent the last two years <laughs> educating myself, uh, doing a lot of reading in it and trying to understand it, not just, not just react to it. Um, and I think you're right, Ricky, that what happened this year, especially after having a year off when everybody, well, we couldn't go anywhere. So I, all I did was sit around, you know, read about CRT and, mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of us, including myself, you know, we're concerned of, you know, it's just a resolution, but behind the resolution, there, there's a, there's an intent, a motivation. So the question is why in 2019 was there even a resolution that came to the floor of the convention that wanted to put a very positive spin on critical race theory, even subordinating it to scripture very clearly, but yet elevating it as a helpful tool sociologically that could be used to help us in matters of race and race reconciliation. Where was that coming from? What was that? For most people, it sounded very odd. They didn't understand it, didn't know what it was. I think there were a handful of people in the room that did know who tried to push back on it and they were effectively squashed. Mm -hmm. um, and so then we had two years uh, to go to war on Twitter and to blog and to read and try to figure this mess out. And then, like you said, George Floyd happened, Black Lives Matter uh, gained all this speed. And, and all of a sudden, the, the rhetoric of, of critical race theory is being spoken everywhere. Uh, so it had been in higher education since the late 80s, uh, where it started, uh, and has just kind of worked its way into broader culture. Uh, in public schools, universities, colleges. And I think part of the fear was that we felt like in a couple of our seminaries, we were hearing some of this rhetoric we, we were from a few people, and it was beginning to cause some concerns. Now, whether those things were blown out of proportion, I don't know. I saw the videos. I read a few things that were said, and it did sort of raise the eyebrows. Like, that sounds a little like this stuff, you mm -hmm. know, and um, talking about whiteness and white supremacy and privilege and all these, this rhetoric. Um, so, yeah, I think coming into this year's convention, there were a number of resolutions submitted to try to repudiate uh, Resolution 9 in 2019 uh, in a way of speaking to CRT and race and biblical sufficiency in a way that might give better clarity to the subject and bring a more uh, biblical understanding of its incompatibility, I guess, in many people's minds, and that we needed to say that. Uh, so a number of resolutions were submitted. There was one that was sort of campaigned for. So the word mm -hmm. got out and over 1,300 people submitted the same resolution to try to, you know, force the hand of the committee. You need to deal with this. Um, and so what came out of the convention in regard to that one in resolution two, uh, many people fell kind of flat. 
because it, it didn't really address it specifically, although the committee would claim it, it included it without actually naming it. So I don't think they made it better. I think they made it worse. <laughs> uh, they may have had good intentions, but I don't think it was the, uh, the result they were looking for. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't it say something similar to like any theory is not. The language um, was any theory or worldview. Um, and then they qualified that, I think, in three different resolves of. Mm -hmm. And it was. A, and, and don't get me wrong, the, the, the resolution as it stands by itself is fine. Um, you know, it's there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but when you read it, you kind of wonder it's really vague. The mm -hmm. title of it mentions race and, and racial reconciliation in the title. Um, but then it gets very vague in the, in the body of it. And you kind of are left wondering, why is it so vague? And, you know, everybody's got a theory on that, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that was one. And then you had the one that Clay and his group brought up and was squashed in committee on the not just incrementalism but abolishing abortion mm -hmm. that then comes up and with the two-thirds vote is now something to also consider and added so even the committee on resolutions can be overruled overruled mm -hmm. by the messengers and so you saw that may not be exactly the resolution we all wanted with the um, addition to, like not only I think was alone. the addition alone, yeah. Clay, um, that was your that was your resolution. You were you were a part of that. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was a good resolution. Uh, strongest statement certainly the Southern Baptists ever put forward on abortion, and and the the motion to amend it to to put the word alone uh, in there made your whole paragraph nonsensical. Right. <laughs> and and the, and the messengers approved it. And I was sitting there shaking my head going, this doesn't make any sense now. Yeah. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> well, we'll go ahead and, and speak on that some, um, Pastor Clay, because like um, we, we agree with abolitionists. We've had you guys on the program before when you guys was putting forward some, uh, you know, one of these uh, resolutions to try to, you know, garner support for abolitionism uh, on abortion in, in the SBC. And so you were there this this year, um, as you told me earlier, not as a messenger, but you were there to try to support the others and, and pushing forward this uh, resolution of abolishing abortion, standing making a stronger statement. Because when I watched a video clip from this one where the guy got up and it seemed he was offended that this was this is my opinion, because this is how I was viewing it, that he was offended that we're bringing a, 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 an abolitionist statement when we've always been pro abortion. Uh, pro-life as a, as a pro-life entity and nobody's questioning that the SBC is you know not pro-life but saying look you know as a entity as Christians we can take a stronger stance against abortion so maybe you want to walk us through some of uh, what you was experiencing there when it comes to that yeah absolutely I think one of the things that messengers were coming out in droves to the convention for this year was to speak to what they perceived as more of a hierarchical approach 
to uh, our association. Um, a lot of people in our convention felt like, you know what, um, our entity heads are functioning more like they have authority rather than that they are employed by uh, the group. And, um, you know, I really feel like that provided a fertile seedbed for what happened with our resolution. Uh, we, we motioned to uh, bring our resolution out of committee. And to my knowledge, that has never happened. That has never happened um, at least since 79, which is when Bill Askell, who brought the resolution forward to the floor, at least since he's been involved in the, in the convention life. And so it's almost unheard of, if not unheard of for that to happen. But like I said, um, I think the people wanted a stronger resolution on abortion than what the committee gave them. And it's particularly important that it was 50 years ago that the convention made a statement in a resolution. And this was 18 months before the Roe decision. They made a statement allowing for abortion in certain cases. Mm -hmm. And then in 80, um, I'm sorry, then in 74 after Roe, they came out and supported it again. And so, you know, a lot of people, I think, wanted a stronger statement on abortion, if not the strongest statement we've ever had on abortion, as a way to kind of say, we are as far distance from where we were back in 1971 as we can possibly be. Um, mm -hmm. So me and a small group of people, we got together and we did our best to get our resolution out there in front of the people um, so that it wouldn't be another critical race theory resolution nine type thing where we're voting on something that we have no idea what it is. Um, so a lot of people, thousands of people had those resolutions in their hands when it was, when it was brought up from the floor to present for a two thirds vote to bring it out of committee. And so they knew what we were talking about when we, when we brought that up. Um, so yeah, it was a very unique moment in Southern Baptist history. So you guys was was there a, a large amount of uh, individuals handing out those resolutions for people to read? Is that how it works, or is that how yeah what we, was going down? That's not how folks typically do it, and I think uh, the SBC um, convention kind of saw us as a thorn in their side. Didn't really want us there. Didn't really want us doing that. Um, and I can I can understand why. I can sympathize with that. Uh, but we really felt like it was important enough to uh, to kind of go against the norm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there, it was a small group of us. Yeah, I didn't get one of those. Were you passing those out on Tuesday? We actually passed them out all day Monday, all day okay. Tuesday, and then the morning on Wednesday. Of course, in the, in the Wednesday bulletin, it was in there. Yes. Because it was brought up as a motion on Tuesday, so that actually had to publish it in the bulletin that right. everybody picks up on Wednesday. So that was the first time yeah. I saw it. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So we're coming down to, uh, you know, about eight minutes left in the program. Um, Pastor Darrow, is there any other things that stood out with this convention or anything you would want to speak on before we, we come to a close? Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, the stuff that's going on in Southern Maps Convention right now is, is really not that complicated. There are a lot of 
points of tension right now, whether it's with, you know, mishandling of sexual abuse reports with the executive committee, questions about NAMS policies and things like that, or, you know, issues about women pastors and preachers or CRT, all these things. The one thing they all have in common is in the last, or the ERLC, you got that too, um, in the last two years, particularly, but even beyond that, especially with the ERLC, uh, probably the last five years, there's just been an erosion of trust. And with an organization like the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, which is really an association, as Mike said earlier, um, it runs on trust. It can't work without trust. Um, churches trust that they're sending their money up and out to entities and leaders who have to be in place there to handle those monies, use those monies wisely, be good stewards, um, practice good practices, uh, have good sound doctrine in the seminaries. It's all a matter of trust. And when things begin to happen that um, either rightly or wrongly erode that trust, um, then this is what we see beginning to happen. Uh, so right now is an opportunity in our convention. And I hope what, what Clay said was really important. The messengers put the convention leaders on, on notice in several different times at that convention, they pushed back against certain things that normally would just been rubber stamped. Uh, people came to that convention informed. They'd read the book of reports, which never happens. They'd actually read it and looked at stuff and were informed and pushed back on a variety of things. And, and those leaders now have to respond. So really the, the messengers put the ball in their court and, and now they've got to work to build trust. And there's some work to be done there. And so over the next year, I hope that's what they do. I hope that's what they commit themselves to do where they need to do that because they have that opportunity now. Um, and Southern Baptists are gracious people. I believe that. And I believe we want good things to cooperate, to do the great things and for the great commission. Um, and, and I'm more of, um, you know, that's what I'll tell my church. Sky's not falling. Uh, it's not unraveling. We got problems. We got some issues. We got to work through them. Let's see what our leaders do now, how they respond. And, and we'll see where we are a year from now. And, and then we'll go from there um, because things can always change. It's always mm -hmm. a moving thing in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, but I tell you one thing, biggest crowd we've had in 25 years. There's there's if some people were asleep, they're not asleep now. Um, Wasn't it like a uh, 16,000 or something? Uh, 15,726 showed wow. up. Wow. So, yeah, good, good sized crowd. And, and that was, was very healthy in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I think it was the first time I heard the president tell people to like scoot in because, <laughs> like, you have to be in the room to vote. Right. And so, like, there were messengers out in the hall because they couldn't sit. Um, there weren't seats. And so, I think that, yeah. You know, hopefully, you know, you'll have the same out in, I think, Anaheim next year. Um, so, um, yeah, and I think that's the important part is the messengers do have a voice. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the entities were kind of awoken maybe a little bit. Um, Don't use words. <laughs> said awoken i know <laughs> um a little bit and, and you know even you know i may have not have voted for the current president 
um, of the SBC, you know, there's still, um, you don't know what he's going to do and you hope, you know, just to pray that he does make the wise decisions. Mm -hmm. Cause I think I kind of got involved with Southern Baptist politics. I had just got accepted for Southern was about to leave. I was in a Southern Baptist church and the traditional statement came out. So this would have been 2012. Um, you know, and that was kind of the fault line for lack of better words of the Southern Baptist convention at the time. I think you kind of see it changed. And I think a lot of people have recognized Southern Baptist has multiple issues now. It's just not this theological one. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some more pragmatic, mm-hmm. you know, with this sexual abuse, um, scandal from a couple of years ago with the Houston, um, Chronicle report mm-hmm. coming out. And I think it's a time that Southern Baptists need to get involved, as, as I mentioned earlier, not to jettison, um, but maybe to quote that we saw on Twitter and the New York Times to take the shit mm-hmm. and um, to go ahead and, you know, be the the voice the that stands on the authority of scripture and holds to what we confess as a convention and hold them to it. And Pastor Clay, is there anything you'd like to say before we close out the program tonight? Um, I would just ask our brothers and sisters to, to pray for the Southern Baptist Convention, pray for Southern Baptist churches, pray for Southern Baptist leaders. Uh, we definitely need it. I know our small group just really saw the hand of God, the blessing of God, um, at the SBC and, uh, um, I hope other, other people were blessed as well to, um, to see the hand of God moving and answer to specific prayers. Um, even if things didn't go exactly the way you wanted, um, uh, we could not deny that God was answering prayers and, and moving. And so just keep, keep praying and keep pressing forward. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And we do, we do serve a sovereign, sovereign Lord, and he's in control of all things, and we can continue to trust in him. No matter where the culture goes, no matter where certain denominations may head, he is still controlling, he still has his church. Uh, we are just called to be faithful in, in, in the preaching of his word. And so uh, I want to thank you, you both of you brothers, for coming on the program tonight. Uh, me and Mike talked about this show, and he says, I don't know how many people is going to want to know about the Southern Baptist Convention, the polity and all that. And for me, I was very you know, interested in this because again, as someone, and, and I'm looking at it from the view of there's many people that probably don't understand the inner workings of it and, and what, what is going on. And, and I think it's very helpful to have a program. I've, I've watched a few where people were just very critical and criticizing certain things that are going on. And again, like I said, wanting to jump ship. But I think as, you know, a former co-host that we used to have on the program, uh, we got to stay balanced in everything that we do. You got to stay balanced. And so you don't want to just jump this way to the right or to the left. You want to kind of, you know, walk that, that aisle and, and just, you know, stay, stay focused, stay balanced and stay faithful to the call that God has given us. And so I want to thank you again for coming on the program and, and sharing with us the inner workings of the SBC uh, and what happened this, this year in 2021. So thank you both. Thank you, brothers. Blessings to you. 
That's been G220 Radio for tonight. Uh, hope you enjoyed the program. You can reach out to us at g220radio at gmail.com. Again, that's g220radio at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, email us there. Attention, Mike Miller, and he will get back to you. So uh, that's G220 Radio. Until next week, God bless.